You know, right now in the United States of America, there are about 30 million people who claim that they do not believe in God. That is about 10% of the adult population. It's the highest that has ever been in the nation. We are living in a time when there is more secularism, more atheism, more agnosticism and skepticism than ever has been in the United States of America. And it's causing some very serious problems. As you think about this idea of unbelief, challenging the inspiration of the Bible, the existence of God, the idea that Jesus Christ is God's Son, you see that about 60% of all the young people from the denominational world and from the denominational churches are leaving their churches. And that's about 6 out of 10. So if you had 10 young people lined up and it was from your local Presbyterian, your local Catholic, your local... Methodist, Baptist, etc. Out of those 10, within 15 years, six of them would be gone from there and most of them would not have gone to somewhere else. They would just have left faith entirely. In the church of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you're talking about 40%. So about four out of 10 of the young people that are leaving the faith, are leaving from the Lord's church. If you had 10 people who were between the ages of 15 and 18 sitting on a pew here on a Sunday morning. In 15 years, four of those will not be here. Now you say, all right, well, we're doing better than some people. Okay, yeah, I mean, uh, which is better getting punched in the stomach or the face? You know, that better argument isn't really good because if we were to think about the young people that we've had in this church building today, and if we were to think about the 10 that we want to just line up here on the front row and ask ourselves this question, which of those four don't we want to be here in 10 years, in 15 years? And the answer is zero. Absolutely. We want them all to be here. And so as we look at this and look at some stats from some recent research done, here's what we're finding out across the nation. Across the nation, faith is plummeting in every single sector of our society. You look at some of these stats, 25% of the people in the United States, one out of four, represents themselves as not religious whatsoever. You ask them, hey, are you associated with any religion whatsoever? They say, no, I have no religion, none whatsoever. In fact, they've come up with that category, the nuns, for people who say they're not Buddhist, they're not Hindu, they're not Christians, they're not Catholic, they're not anything, they're a-religious. Now, some of these would still say they have some concept of God, but for the most part, these people are just those who say, I don't have any religion, no concept of God, don't care about it, it doesn't affect me on any type of day-to-day -day basis, I don't have anything to do with it. Now, that's one out of four. So, if you walk down the street and see four people, and they're average Americans, then one of those says, I'm not religious at all. However, the age matters of the four people that you see because as you look at that next one, 39% of the 18 through 29 year olds say they have no religion whatsoever. So if you see 10 18 through 29 year olds, four of those 10 say we don't have any religion whatsoever. Almost half. Young people are the hardest hit by the skepticism that we're seeing in our nation. Now, let's say we did that. Let's say we went out there and we saw about 220 young people ages 18 to 29. We asked them, do you have any religion? And 40% of those approximately said, no, we don't. So now we have 100 people that are aged 18 to 29. 
So work with me, mind experiment here. We move everybody from this side over and we put our 100 people right here and they're 18 through 29. And these are the young people that we've asked today, do you have any religion? And they say, no, we have no religion whatsoever. 100 of them sitting in our pews tonight. Okay, the next question is, how many of you were raised religious out of our 100 that are here tonight? We asked them, how many of you were raised religious? Uh, raise your hands. We start counting. 64 out of the 100. So now we've got 64 out of the 100 that were raised religious. What's your next question? Why'd you leave? Okay, so 64 out of the 100 who say they were raised religious, they left. We asked them what happened. And so as we asked them what happened, here's what we see. Uh, when they give us answers to why they left, the answers that they are giving have to do with, well, the Bible just doesn't make any sense to me. However, lots of times, it's not the Bible that doesn't make sense to them. It's the answer I was given to a religious question doesn't make sense to me. And they think it's the Bible. I'll give you an example of what I mean here. I was down in Florence and was talking to a couple who were well-known atheists in the area at the time. This was now probably going on 13, 14 years ago. They were twin brothers. And a friend of mine knew them from growing up in high school and said, well, you meet with these two guys. So we met at Rosie's one afternoon for lunch and we were sitting across. And I just wanted to get to know them a little bit and ask them, Okay, why are you so opposed to Christianity? What's the problem that you have with the God of the Bible? And they said, well, the God of the Bible just does things that are immoral. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well, he creates some people that are going to hell and some people that are going to heaven and they can't do anything about it. They don't have any choice in the matter. And a God that would create some people going to heaven, some people going to hell, that kind of God is immoral and I cannot worship or believe in a God like that. Now, I let them talk for three or four minutes and nodded along and said, yeah, me neither. They said, well, hold on just a second. You do believe in a God like that. I said, no, I don't believe in a God like that. I said, no, that's an idea that a guy by the name of John Calvin presented a few hundred years ago. But I said, that's not what the Bible teaches. In fact, I gave him a little verse there in Ezekiel and talked to him about how the soul that sins shall die. The father shall not be responsible for the son's sin and the son shall not be responsible for the father. But everybody decides their own spiritual fate. They looked at me slack-jawed and they said, do you know we've been talking to Christians for years and we've never met a Christian who doesn't believe that. So you have groups of people who are in places that claim to be teaching the Bible, that claim to be Christian, but they're teaching things that are not in the Bible and they're indefensible. There's no defense for a God that doesn't let humans have a choice in where they spend eternity. And those atheists are right, but they're mistaken in that they think that's Christianity. And so as you look through this idea and you see some quotes from these guys and you have, uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to read that. Richard Dawkins, here's what he says. The sin of Adam and Eve is thought to have passed down the male line 
What kind of ethical philosophy is it that condemns every child even before it is born to inherit the sin of a remote ancestor? So this is Richard Dawkins, the leading atheist in the world, and he says, you know, what kind of God condemns a, a child that's not even born yet for the sin of his father? What kind of God does that? Not the God of the Bible. But that's what many young people are being taught. And these guys, they were probably, you know, 28 at the time, 25 maybe, and their whole interaction with Christianity, put it in quotations, every single Christian they'd ever talked to taught this. Now, can you blame them when they said, I don't believe in that kind of God? You can't blame them. They needed someone to explain a better, more biblical explanation. As you continue with me in the next slide, you see Martin Luther. Now, now this is, okay, like if you were to ask people who the strong Christian teachers were in the past, you know, using that word Christian in a very general sense, anybody that believes in Jesus Christ, Martin Luther's going to be up there. Listen to Martin Luther. Out of a sense of Christian commitment, I appeal to all those who baptize, sponsor infants, or witness a baptism to take to heart the tremendous work and great solemnity present here. For here in the words of these prayers, you hear how plaintively and earnestly the Christian church brings the infant to God, confesses before him with such unchanging, undoubting words, get this, this is Martin Luther, that the infant is possessed by the devil and a child of sin and wrath. And so diligently ask for help and grace through baptism that the infant may become a child of God. Martin Luther taught if you did not baptize infants, they went straight to hell. Because they came in possessed by the devil. Now can you blame an atheist for saying Christianity teaches that children inherit the sin of their fathers? You almost can't even blame them. Because when people who are put up on a pedestal as amazing, great Christian teachers like Martin Luther are not teaching Christianity at all, well, it would definitely be hard for an unbeliever to distinguish true Christianity from false, wouldn't it? And so what you see is lots of times the answers that they're given that are supposedly Christian answers, as you continue with me to the next slide, the next aspect of it, is not only are they given wrong answers about Christian ideas, but then, as you read this, a part of the new survey, so we've got these 64 young people, and these are the ones that were raised religious and they left, so the next question is, okay, why? Well, the main answer was, we just don't believe it anymore, and a lot of it was because, okay, stuff like, we got a wrong definition of faith, we got wrong information about babies inheriting sin, etc. But one of the main things, was this right here. As a part of the survey, we asked them to explain in their own words why they left. 49% of them indicated that a lack of belief. Okay, so out of the 64, 32 of them. 32 said, we just don't believe it anymore. Okay, well, could you clarify for us? You don't believe it? What does it mean that you don't believe it anymore? And so as you go to the next slide, you see, here are the quotes. Well, because I grew up and realized it was a story like Santa or the Easter Bunny. I realize that religion is in complete contradiction with the rational and scientific world, and to continue to subscribe to a religion would be hypocritical. It no longer fits what I understand of the universe. The next slide has more of the same. 
Learning about evolution went away to college. Lack of any sort of scientific or specific evidence of a creator. I just realized somewhere along the line that I didn't really believe it. Now here's the shame of this. As you go back to that slide, uh, we, we took off there. Here's the shame of this. Creation is the only robust scientific idea that matches all the evidence. The idea that there was a huge explosion 13.82 billion years ago and every form of life you see came from non-living matter that somehow spontaneously got together 4.8 billion years ago and that single-celled amoeba changed from a single-celled amoeba to a multi-celled bacteria and that bacteria to a worm. And that, that is not scientific. In fact, you take the foundational scientific laws of the law of cause and effect, the law of biogenesis, the laws of thermodynamics, and you compare them to what people are being taught about evolution and how we got here, and it is the most unscientific idea that's ever been presented with the least evidence that you will ever see. But that's not what they're told. You know, right now in the United States of America, eight out of 10 professors on a college campus are hard-nosed atheists. That's eight out of 10. Your kid goes to a university or college. I mean, you're talking about most, most of your junior colleges as well. And they sit in front of a person that's got a PhD and is eloquent and is smart. And that person on a regular basis explains to them that anybody who believes there's a creator is ignorant and superstitious and is just trying to figure out a way not to be afraid of death because modern science has told you that evolution is true. Most of the time the kid never even gets to the point of asking what modern science is. They're just told that over and over and over. And you do go through four years of that, and eight out of ten of your professors who are some of the most intelligent people you've ever seen tell you that only idiots believe in creation? And over, only real idiots believe that the Bible is literally true. And you get out of there, you haven't been, been taught the real science. You've just been taught that only idiots believe in creation. And who wants to be an idiot? Well, well not me. So I guess if all these smart people say that the science is behind it and they got PhDs behind their name and credentials and letters that are, well, I guess they must be right. You know, you could make a singular statement that would demolish every single bit of alleged scientific evidence for evolution in this. Has anyone ever seen design, functional complex design, arrive anywhere without an intelligent designer behind it? Now, the Bible writer put it very simply, for every house is built by someone. You walk into the woods and you see a house that's got electricity and plumbing and you know it didn't whip itself up from the properties of the natural world spinning around right there. You know somebody built a house with plumbing and electricity. You know it did. Now, the correlation that for every house is built by someone and he who made all things is God. You know, there's not a single naturalistic process that ever adds genetic information to anything. And yet, in order for evolution to be true, you would have to add billions and billions of bits of genetic information to the first single-celled life that had to come into existence from non-living chemicals, which violates the fundamental law of biology, uh, biology which is the law of biogenesis. Now, 
We've got entire lessons on all of that stuff. I say all that simply to say, it's not the science that's getting them. Now, they're claiming lack of any scientific information, lack of any specific evidence, but that's not what's getting them. What's getting them is they're told that there's not any scientific information. Now, let me ask you this question. You got these 32 kids that are sitting here, 18 to 29. They're saying, hey, we left the faith because science proves that God doesn't exist. That's not true at all. But where are they going to find out that's not true? They're not going to find it out in their schools. They're not going to find it out on the Internet, generally speaking, unless they know what to look for. Where are they going to find it out? Now, that's where we as the church are responsible. Because I think for years, we just thought they'd pick this stuff up. That we, they'll just get it. And I got it when I was a kid. You got it when you were a kid. And you didn't have problems with it, and so th they'll just get it. Whose responsibility is it to teach your kid that there is proof that God exists, that the Bible is God's word, that Jesus Christ is God's son, and you can stand in front of any group that wants to think reasonably and give them that evidence, and if they're honest and thinking reasonably, they will then know God exists. Who, whose responsibility is that? It's your parents. It's not your churches, although they can help. They can put together programs that will give you 35 minutes of a Bible class on a Sunday morning, maybe 35 on a Wednesday night. But who ultimately, and, and really, ultimately, you can't even say parents, although you can say parents, but who's really responsible? Where does the buck stop in God's hierarchy of leadership? It's your men, your husbands, your father's responsibility. Now ask yourself this question. Are fathers in the churches making it a point to teach their kids how they can know for sure God exists and statements like this are not true? Or have we just decided, well, you know, maybe they'll get it somewhere else. Do you know every father? And you can then really kind of go to every grandfather as well. And mothers are involved, absolutely, because the instruction is to parents to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But ultimately, it's the male spiritual leadership responsibility. You know, you're going to stand before God. And if your child has adopted some erroneous teaching out there, and you didn't do anything to combat that when you knew it was something that they were going to run into... It's going to be tough. Now, I think that the elders in a congregation like this, having someone like me come in and say, this needs to be done. Okay, very good to be done. But that's not going to do it. I mean, you as family members have to decide, my kids, my grandkids, my nieces, my nephews, they're not getting out of these houses where we have influence and we have a sphere of teaching ability without knowing these facts about God. God stands up to every single scientific discovery ever found. The Bible is the most historically accurate book and the most verified book of any book ever, and here's the proof. Now, if later my kids go out into the world and they dishonestly want to sin and then want to reject the evidence, hey, everybody makes their own decision. But they're not going out of here without knowing the truth about it. 
How many of us have said that and determined just exactly like we are going to make sure they know enough math to get into college and just exactly like we are going to make sure they're going to know enough whatever it is to drive down the road. They're going to know enough about the, the road regulations to make sure they don't have wrecks. We're going to make sure they know enough about this so that when they run into this information, they'll have something to defend themselves with. Well, as we continue to look at this statement right here, here's why it's different. This is from a guy by the name of Barry. You can't see it down there at the bottom. It's not coming through, but let me read it to you. When I was a young person in the 40s, this guy's 80 years old now. Actually, this is kind of an older quote, maybe three or four years. Being atheist was work. There was almost no... There were almost no books on the topic, no magazines, no columns in the newspaper. Everyone was assumed to be some sort of theist. Today, the books of Dawkins, Dennett, Sam Harris, Christopher Hitchens are readily available to any young person questioning the religion he or she was born into. The internet offers a plethora of information about both theism and atheism, so it's much easier to figure out if atheism is a good fit. Add to that the fact that young people are openly questioning their religion of birth and that religions don't have good answers. That's what it says next, that religions don't have good answers. Is it true that most religions don't have good answers? Yeah. I mean, when I was debating Dan Barker, a guy who's a co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation, he asked me questions in a public debate that he thought I would have to answer in a certain way because everybody he had dealt with was a denominational person that wasn't teaching New Testament Christianity correctly about modern-day miracles and some things like that. And when he made several statements... And I said, no, the Bible doesn't teach that. He looked out at the audience and said, do you people believe that? Because his audience is full of Christians. And he was shocked, floored, when out of our 550-member audience, 450 of them all nodded in agreement because they understood what the Bible actually said about it. It is true that a lot of people who call themselves Christians aren't giving Bible answers to this. Do you know who can see through a non-Bible answer quicker than anybody? A kid. A 13-year-old can cut straight through any gobbledygook junk answer and say, so you're telling me if it's not Bible, they'll see it. What's that mean if you're the spiritual leader in your family and as parents and grandparents and uncles, what's it mean that you're going to give them good answers? What do you got to know first? You got to know it. Now, how's this come across? You tell your kid that the Bible is the most important thing in the world. God is the most important being in the world. Your relationship with God is the most important. But you know more about Alabama football than you know about 2 Kings. You tell them that the Bible's the greatest thing in the world and it's the most historically accurate book anybody's ever seen. And you know more about your accounting business than you know about the book of Acts. Is that going to ring pretty hollow to a young person? When you tell them it's the most important thing in your whole life, but you don't read it on a regular basis? Oh, so my dad and mom say it's the most important thing we got. You just don't have to mess with it. You just don't have to read it. Where's it really coming to? It's us. We've got to take the responsibility. Now, I'm not trying to get on to you. I'm not trying to say, okay, if you hadn't done this, it would. I'm just saying the responsibility is us. Now, could it be that when we recognize... Oh, okay, go to the next slide. Let's, let's uh, really pay attention to what the atheistic agenda is. 
do not misunderstand me. They don't think they're going to convert you to atheism if you're 45 years old and up. You're setting your ways and you're not changing anyway. And guess what? They're not even after you. Uh, most of y'all haven't even picked up a Sam Harris book on the end of faith and a Richard Dawkins book on the God delusion. You haven't even picked one up. Who are they focused on? You read it for yourself. If we can divert just one young man from going into the ministry or from wasting time and money on religion, we've made the world a better place. That's what Dan Barker says. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. You mean to tell me if you could convert one person into thinking that Jesus Christ is not the Son of God and that the golden rule that Jesus Christ laid down that we need to do unto others as we want them to do unto you is not a divinely ordained instruction, that that would somehow make the world a better place? That somehow if you teach people that they were not all created by one God and that they are made in God's likeness and you teach them they evolved from primordial slime, that that's somehow going to make them treat each other better? No. Nothing could be further from the truth than this. In fact, in Psalm 14, 1, where it says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, the next three verses in a, is a commentary on what happens when you do that. When you say there's no God, they are corrupt. They have done abominable things. There's none who does good. No, not one. You throw a bunch of young people together and tell them that they evolved from primordial slime and they're not made in the image of God, but they ultimately are evolved from animals. And what happens? They start acting like them. That's a fact. Okay, Dan Barker is wrong. But you can see what he's trying to do. What's he trying to do? One kid. If there's just one kid out of the Midway congregation that somehow they could get on their website and start telling them the Bible's not really inspired word of God or start telling them that their parents didn't know what they were talking about and science proves that God doesn't exist. Just one kid. That's all they're trying to do. One at a time. What if you decided, as a Christian, I'm going to try to keep just one kid from buying into the lies that Satan is spreading through unbelief and skepticism? Maybe that's my kid. Maybe it's my niece or nephew or granddaughter or grandson. Maybe it's the kid in my son's class that I could get some material and get it into that class and they could have it where they would have an opportunity to read the truth. Because listen, kids who are not going to church anywhere never hear, listen to me, you understand what I'm saying? They never hear that God created them. Never, nowhere. My wife is a speech therapist that works with a bunch of kids that if they don't go to church somewhere, and most of them don't because lots of their parents are doing all kinds of crazy stuff, They don't hear that they're created in God's image. And they may not ever hear it unless somebody says, I'm going to make sure this kid knows. I'm going to make sure this child knows they're special and they're valuable, not because of how fast they run, not because of what grades they make. They're special and they're valuable because they're created in the image of God. Who will do it? If you won't. You know, as you read this last slide, 
We get emails kind of like this on a regular basis. Uh, this is a mom by the name of KJ in Oklahoma. This is from several years ago. She says, it's so scary. I'm battling this with my 15, almost 16-year-old right now. I should have started earlier, but the things that affected me, they don't affect him and vice versa. Dinosaurs were the beginning of our problems. I'm so afraid of losing him to the world. Dinosaurs? Really? Uh, they weren't my problem growing up. I had a lot of them, a lot, a lot of problems. But dinosaurs were never something that I thought, you know what, if I don't get this dinosaur question right, I'm done. I'm out. And a lot of you are the same. If I were to say, have you ever even doubted the existence of God? Most of us, 45 and older, no, not even one time. Religious discussions when I was growing up were, what does the Bible actually say? And you'd be talking to other people who were Christians, and they'd say it says this, and you'd go over to this person. The, the whole discussion was, what does the Bible actually say? That's not how it is now. And I think some of us just haven't caught up to that. You know, my son, who is 19 now, but at 12, I had him out on my 25-horsepower John Deere riding mower, zero turn, 25-horsepower Kohler engine. It was the last year, 2010, that John Deere put Kohler engines into their 25-horsepower mowers, and so I tend to think it was the last of the best one ever made, but that, that I'm a little partial. It'll go six miles an hour. Now, six doesn't seem that fast until you compare it to the Husqvarna, which goes 4.4, and six is really kind of trucking. I get kind of motion sick on rides and stuff, and my lawnmower will make me motion sick. That's how fast this thing goes. This is awesome. We had three acres, and no trees or nothing. So a 12-year-old, you throw them out on three acres and say, mow the yard. <laughs> By 12, he's proficient at it. He comes in one day and says, Dad, that mower really drifts well. You know what drifting is? Okay, drifting is not turning. It's you go as fast as you can to the end and basically slam on the brakes and the rear end says, spins around to where you want it. It's not a turn. I said, don't drift on my yard. You know why you don't drift on your yard? Because when those wheels come around and that weighs about 800 pounds, they take every bit of grass with them. This is a big strip of grass. When I was 12 years old, we weren't drifting with a zero-turn 25-horsepower mower. They didn't make them. I was weed eating and had done for, I mean, from probably the time I was 13 to probably the time I was out of college, I weeded everything. I mean, I had formal education in weeding at Santa Fe High School where we had a shop class and they taught you how to weed eat, taught you how to break down a two-cycle engine, taught you what gasoline and mix and stuff to use and all the stuff. I would put my son on my zero-turn mower and I would weed eat. Because that's what I always did. I weeded it. I mean, I've been weeding since I was 14. I'm a great weed eater. In fact, one time I challenged my kids. I said, you know what? I'm really good. I said, uh, it's tongue-in-cheek. Work with me. I said, uh, I said, I believe I could weed eat our whole house without getting any grass on me in my Sunday clothes. I said, I think I probably could. Well, we were selling our house in Florence, and we had to get it. I had to get some weed eating done fast because we were having somebody come look at it my Son says, what'd you say? 
about being able to weed eat the whole yard in your suit? I said, fine, I'll, I'll give it a shot. So I left my suit on from Sunday morning, went and got the weed eater, and said, okay, let's, let's see what happens. Here's what I learned, two things, two things about this. Number one, it takes twice as long to weed eat and not get grass on you. Number two, wind is a factor. So, you know, it depends on what day it is as, as to if that's possible or not. But here's what I learned. When my son was about 16 years old, he was whipping around on a zero-turn, 25-horsepower John Deere, and I handed him a weed eater. He didn't even know how to start it. He didn't know you got to press the little bubble and then flip the little thing to choke. He starts his mower with a key and had been for 12 years. Couldn't weed eat, but could run a zero horsepower 20, I mean a 25 horsepower zero turn John Deere like a race driver. Why? Because the stuff that affects me doesn't affect him. You see, I grew up with a weed eater. He grew up with 25 horsepower zero turn. He learned to do his well, and I learned to do mine well, and it was two very different things. And I think somewhere along the way, we've just thought, I, I got weed eating, they'll get it. They don't just get it. You have to show them how to do it. And I think so many of us have just thought, hey, I, I never had a problem with the inspiration of the Bible. I never had a problem with the goodness of God. I never had a problem with the existence of God. My kids will just get it. Dinosaurs weren't a problem for me. And so we didn't even bother to explain where dinosaurs fit in the Bible to our kids because it didn't matter to us because it wasn't a problem. But it matters to them. And so what we've got to do is decide that if we can just bring one more young person to the understanding that there's a good God in heaven who wants them in heaven with him, and he's done everything he can to make that possible for them. And we're going to tell them about that God, and we're going to tell them about how that God came in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ and gave his life on a cross. And that exhibition of love is the greatest apologetic tool in the arsenal to convince a person that there's an all-powerful, all-loving God. And you present Jesus Christ to a young person and say, not only did your God create you and the intricate design of your body, but he loved you so much that he came down on this earth. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Without him, nothing was made that was made. And verse 14 of John 1 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. You mean to tell me my Creator came and gave his life for me? And that's how much he loves me? Yeah. And you can live with that creator forever. And that's the God that we're trying to tell you about. That's inspiring. It's exciting. And it's something that many, many young people in our nation have never heard. Not in its purest, most accurate, true form. And we've got it. What are we doing with it? That's the question. You've got it here tonight. You've heard the gospel message. You just heard it. It's very simple. Have you obeyed that gospel message? Have you 
given your heart to your creator and said, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm in. I love you more than anything. Probably on a Sunday night, looking out over the crowd. Yeah, most of you have. There might be somebody in here who has been thinking about getting right with their creator. He died for you, loved you. Will you repent of your sins and confess that you believe in Jesus Christ? Be buried in water baptism for the forgiveness of those sins so you can be added to the group of people who call God their Lord and Master. What if you've done that? And, you know, you're just not living right. There's something in your life that's just getting in the way. Some kind of sin, something that you just, something that you know if someone were to say, hey, you're not, you're not feeling right, are you? Something's going on in your life. What is it? If you were honest, you could tell them right now. And you, you know it. And you know you need to get right with your creator so that you can be at peace like he wants you to be, but there's just something holding you back from that. Is there something you need to do? Hey, if you're not in either one of those categories, could, we, could, could all of us do this? Could we determine that from now on, every single young person we have any sway over, we have any ability to influence, we have any connection to, is going to know that we think our God is awesome and powerful and they need to know why we think it. Could we all do that? Absolutely. Is there something you need to do to get right with your creator tonight? If there is, I hope you will as we stand and we sing this song.